Hey you, I can hear you, bitch. Um. Oh, we're doing it. What's up, hoes? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Two Happy Hoes. This is Rachel on the mic. And this is Chelsea on the mic as well. And yes, this is not coming to you live. Just want to say. <laughs> Maybe one day when we get to that level, we'll have live shows. Ooh, you're right. You're right. Never let the dream diminish. Um, well, also if we get out of pandemic and live. so that's Yeah, that's... Good you know right um <laughs> but we we got an exciting show planned for you all today um obviously we're gonna go through our segments and also we're gonna have our special guest dr wiggins on the show talking about black uh black women or black female mentorship and imposter syndrome so it's gonna be really great love to see it but before that, let's get bitter. Yes. What are you mad about today, Chelsea? Um, I'm an extra bitter bitch today, and I'm mad about two things. Um, so the short thing is I currently have a concussion. Um, I was just minding my own black, beautiful business, and I was about to check my email I reached for my coffee and I don't know if I just like wiggled my desk too much when I did that and a piece of art that I had a like on display on my desk just like crashed down and like hit me right in the the temple I'm honestly lucky to be alive right now but oh my god <laughs> have you not seen that what's that movie with Adam Sandler <clears throat> the lady gets hit in the temple and she dies instantly are you talking about 50 first dates where she keeps reliving no, no, the same day over? No, no, no. It's a, no, I don't know. I'll, I'll look it up. <laughs> but anyway. Like I'm Adam being, Sandler. I'm being slightly dramatic, but I did get hit in the head with this object so hard that the object actually broke. Shit. Um, and yeah, it's terrible. And the part that I'm really mad about is that I can't drink for like a week or two until it's like healed and like I'm working on my comprehensive exams right now, and I live with the man, so I need to drink. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a necessity, but I guess I'll have to find another outlet for now, so. Um, But the real reason that I'm a bitter bitch today is because of motherfucking, and I'm only going to say this bitch's name once on this show, otherwise Mm -hmm. he would be known as Redacted. Um. (laughs) And for the current, <laughs> all the OG listeners, this person has nothing to do with me. It's not one of my redacteds, but <laughs> it would be T asterisk R Y L asterisk N asterisk Z, <laughs> but Tori motherfucking lanes, piece of trash, little miniature. Okay. First of all, I do not support ice at all, but deport that motherfucker. Okay deport him he is not a u.s citizen and he committed a crime so he needs to get the fuck off of this soil okay um 
So we all know what happened with this redacted and our one of our queens, um, Megan the Stallion. Mm-hmm. Um, so this bitch had the audacity to get on Instagram Live and you know try to say his piece and like call her a liar and then promote his little stinking ass album. Okay, first of all, as soon as I heard the news that he was the one who did did it, I deleted all his shit off my phone. And he has some bops. I'm not even going to lie, but I can live without it, okay? I, I pretend that, um, you know, Redacted, who sings that song, um, Step in the Name of Love, doesn't exist anymore. Um, I no longer acknowledge the, the star of um, the Huxtable family. Um, mm-hmm. I even finally... I, uh, you know, even though he recently came out with a bop, no longer um, acknowledge Rihanna's abuser. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I will treat this redacted the same way. But what pissed me off is that not only did he, like, get up there and try to discredit her and just boldface lie to our face, try to promote your little motherfucking album. And I saw a, a tweet and it was like, if if he would have shot Kylie Jenner, this would be a whole different story because we know this took place after her party or at her party or something like that he would have been buried like that whole family would have buried him and i'm like so just say y'all hate black women and go but yes i and anybody who like is supporting this man like well i don't agree what he did but his album the new album sounds good fuck you too delete me but also it's like So what frustrates me the most, I mean, besides obviously the blatant like misogynoir and like the fact that he's allowed to get away with this is that, yeah, he's had a few bobs here and there, but he ain't that great of an artist. Like he's just not, he's just not. And so I'm more pissed because then it was reported that his album like reached like top of the charts or something the next day um something like that which just shows like how shitty like society is but also like the fact that that's the first thing you wanted to do like you were silent for hella long and the first thing you wanted to do was use all of this to promote promote your fucking remakes because that's all you do to songs is remake them with (laughs) auto-tune you piece of trash right and i'm just i'm sitting here i I'm not surprised, but I'm still disappointed. You know, yeah. I, I'm, that's like the theme of 2020. Honestly, I mean, honestly, though, that's the theme of being a black woman. Not surprised, but disappointed. Well, yeah, because I like not to turn this away from redacted and like the violence that he he did to Megan. But I I've also been trying to process like you know, the verdict of Breonna Taylor's murder mm-hmm. and just, I think for me, especially, and I was talking to folks about it, like unsurprised, but still deep down disappointed, like, and just trying to grapple with like, what, what does justice even look like for black women um, in a society that constantly devalues and dehumanizes them? And like, I think this, Mm-hmm. Oh, I was about to say his name, but this uh, redacted incident um, just proves it even more, right? Like nothing is being done. And like, honestly, if anything, he's able to capitalize off of the violence, like 
yeah, yeah. off of the like, without consequence without consequence like not even without legal consequence but without like social consequence as well because i i don't know the facts but i'm pretty sure um redacted audience is main audience is black people obviously right mm-hmm. and I, I would gander to say that his audience main audience or the majority of his audience are black women and so like i'm just disappointed um obviously in the black men who are like screaming protect black women but then you're out here streaming this redacted but i'm disappointed in the black women too who i know are streaming this um i've seen on my instagram some black women streaming this so like i'm just disappointed it's like it's not just music it's not just an artist but it's like you are choosing to support and allow this person to profit and capitalize off a black woman's trauma and it's disgusting and gross and i hate it but shout out to my girl meg because while this redacted is streaming his little remakes my sis has graced the cover of time magazine okay you could never you could never (laughs) like literally never my sis has graced the cover of time magazine and we know how big of a publication time magazine is okay so you did the damn thing sis and honestly, I mean, and not to spend too much time on it, because honestly, I think this could be a whole episode, episode. <laughs> topic, but talking about cancel culture and like celebrities, because I think, I think there's a larger conversation to be had around like, because I've heard arguments around like, well, you can't cancel people, da da da, because it's wrong or like, that's someone it literally someone came to Michigan Michigan's campus and I'll say that because I don't work there no more um and they were talking about how cancel culture is a tool of white supremacy calling for like extermination and I was like bro this sounds like some fucking conspiracy theory to the max but also I think there's a larger conversation to be had around like canceling an artist or like a celebrity in terms of like when when people become celebrities they become icon like iconized Mm -hmm. um yeah i know it's a word but i don't know how to pronounce it but um like people frame them as an icon and they gain their capital and wealth through being a celebrity and through them capitalizing off of whatever art they are producing Mm -hmm. um and so with that it's like no we're not canceling the actual person like as a human like i'm not like exit like i don't have that power but i think there is a moment where you got to be like their art no longer serves me in the way that overcomes all the violence that they are using this capital and wealth to produce and so i think especially with um but (laughs) but (laughs) but literally with with this little dude like i would say he wasn't that big of an artist to begin with and now he's if anything being like ascending through the ranks of like stardom because of the violence that he's done and now more people are listening to his fucking music which is disgusting to me because they only know him because he's been in the fucking media as of late for shooting a black woman so i just mm, i'm over it i'm not over it but like i could 
when I'm wearing kitten heels, I can look Tory Lanez in the eye. So <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> y'all know that's all I am. Stop. <laughs> Not even stilettos, bitch. Kitten heels. <laughs> Kills me because I also know that you would never wear kitten heels. <laughs> that shit makes you vomit. So, <laughs> oh my god, just wear flats, okay? What you mad about, sis? Ooh, I'm mad. But honestly, talking about redacted also made me think about something that I'm really happy about. So I'll talk about that after. But okay. um, yeah. So what I'm mad about today is, and it's kind of petty, and I don't care. Um, but, um, I'm like a private detective, like masters in sleuthing, right? And so I decided to take a trail or take a trip down memory lane, um, and see what, um, my ex was up to just out of pure curiosity. Um, and really he's still doing the same old bullshit it doesn't matter but what annoyed me was in his instagram bio it now says he slash him slash daddy um as his pronouns um and i'm just this is why we drag men yes because i'm just sitting here and i'm like first of all (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm about to I'm about to be so petty and I don't care but you have two old ass children that you don't take care of and don't see and literally moved across like the country and don't like take any responsibility for yet you want people to call you daddy so you want everyone else to call you daddy besides your own fucking children and then secondly <laughs> And then secondly, don't make a mockery of fucking pronouns. Like, especially as a cis-hetero fucking man, like, you're sitting here, like, literally trivializing why people use pronouns. Like, it's important, and it's it's not a joke, and, like, it's just sick. It's sick. (sighs) So. That's the key right there, okay? (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, I don't care because, um, it's shitty and like, just don't do this. If you're a cis hetero man, hopefully, um, you're not even thinking about doing this, but, um, just don't, you know, maybe save your, your texting fingers and just don't type that. Great. And take Um, care of your kids. Yeah, take care of your kids. That's that's the other. That's the bigger piece. So sorry. That is the bigger piece. Um, but something that I'm happy about today, um, and I could feel. I yes, I could just feel this like happiness deep inside me, especially so. Anyone that follows Jordan Woods, um, she is now happy in a relationship relationship with I'm assuming a basketball player anyone that knows me I don't know sports so I don't know who this bitch is well, um, I mean I know sports I don't really know basketball but I don't know who that person was but they were a very tall attractive person yeah um 
which I, I'm not mad at. And it seems like she is enjoying herself, living her life. Um, and I just love to see a Black woman thriving and winning after the failed attempts of the Kardashian, the k k Kardashian clan sitting there <laughs> trying to publicly shame her and take her down. And it just seems like she's hanging out with a lot more Black people now. And I feel like really just like... I love a reformed queen. Yes, just like getting into her bag. I am a little upset that people are trying to act like Jordan was like an absolute nobody and wouldn't have been able to make anything of herself without like Kylie Jenner. Whatever. Whoever. Yeah. Um, Stormy's mama. <laughs> right. That's the real. That's the real name. Um, but yeah, I'm just so happy that they are precious. Okay. Yeah. I just love to see Jordan thrive. I honestly love to see the black people, not Kanye. He's, he's canceled, but all the other black people like survive, um, that family and just come out stronger. Um, did that. Right. Black China mm-hmm. took them motherfuckers down, honey. Okay. I don't Look, even really know what she do, but for her. <laughs> she almost infiltrated that entire family. They were not about to have it. They which is so wild to me because it's like they they want all these black men in their family as husbands and like fathers to their children, but let a black woman come in. They're like, even though you're you're raising black black girls which mm, there's some dissonance there but yeah we just love to see a thriving black queen so um congrats to jordan and yeah great love to see it (laughs) well people there comes a time in our show where we talk about these niggas that we don't need (laughs) so here's our you don't need them sis segment and what are we talking about today rachel we are talking about, um, in particular, all men are trash, right? But I think there is um, an element of men or a breed of men out there, <clears throat> educated men who infiltrate like social justice movements or like take a couple feminist theory courses or like whatever, mm-hmm. and they're able to. Tanahasi Coates books. Right. Read a couple books and they, they think they're reformed. They think that they are um, a different level of man. And, you know, I will say they do well at like finessing their way into women's lives, but they end up still being the same piece of shit (laughs) as all the other men in the world. Um, But they're able to navigate it a bit better because they can co-op social justice language mm-hmm. to like finesse. So, I mean, yeah. I see this all the time specifically. I'm not to call out, um, you know, I, I support black women, black men, um, like the clown that I am. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I, there are many black men who deserve to be supported. Um, in, with black men specifically in the academy and for my mm-hmm. field higher education, I see it in my classrooms. I see it in my like professional 
spaces. I see it at conferences where they co-opt this language and they're talking about protecting black women and giving black women space and scholarship. But then like, you're still referring to black women as females or none of your work centered black women or you're not um, publishing with black women and letting them be first author and just all other ways that you're actually not down for the cause, but you're just uh, ho-tepping um, your way through the academy. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I mean, we, I feel like I s- I'm not in the academy anymore, but like um, loosely related, but I feel like especially in like undergrad and grad school, that was like a huge thing I would see, especially in undergrad being a part of a lot of community organizing and just like uh, protests. And um, I also led like, you know, a whole leftist group. Um, And so all of these things, I would see men infiltrate these spaces or even get to points of like leadership within like organizations or stuff like that. And they, they definitely were able to use all the, all the language, you know, sit there and be like, I'm a feminist or like, I, you know, believe in this or that, whatever. And then in their actual personal life, there's, they're not unlearning anything and they're actually still perpetuating the same abuse and violence that like a lot of men talking against. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of like men, even outside of the Academy do. So it's not like it's, yeah, it's definitely not unique (laughs) to the Academy. I'm just my personal experiences with it. And I honestly think like, a lot of educated men who don't take the time to actually unlearn like a lot of toxic masculinity and all these things, they're able to really talk about it and like finesse and intellectualize it, but in their actions, they don't reproduce it. And I just know, even for myself, but also now I'm trying to think. Yeah, I've only ever dated, I guess, one one dude in the academy anyway (laughs) i was trying to think back i was like have i really but like i've hooked up with dudes and stuff like that or like i have friends that like have dated men who you know are academics or like very very educated in you know the institutional sense um that are still like just dumpster fires of garbage like but they're able to like I would say even more it's more dangerous because they're able to like manipulate in ways that like a lot of other people I shouldn't say can't but like they're able to co-op this language and navigate spaces and like flip a lot of scenarios and things onto their partner or onto a woman to be like well you know and they have those argumentative skills and just all these things that they like are able to use and finesse in a relationship that like is really fucked up and ends up leading to just like a lot of trauma and it's even harder i would say once you get out of those relationships like a lot of those women to sit there and think through like a lot of people 
I mean, in general, don't believe women who have been in abusive relationships or like traumatic relationships, but I think it's even harder in an academic sense because so many academic circles are smaller. There's already this reputation and this idea about who a person is. And I think it's harder for us to let these notions and ideals go when you're in academia. Like, for example, I would hear like a professor or something cheated on their wife and then left that person for another like professor (laughs) in like the school or like something like that. And like, yeah, it's drama, but I think in our heads, we never expect something like that to happen in an academic sphere when like it happens all the time. We just- All the time. Yeah, but we try to think like, oh, since we're academics or we're a part of the institution, like there's a certain idea or reputation laid out of how you're supposed to present yourself or how you're supposed to like enact your relationships. And like, no, they're still, they're still the same. Yeah. And educated men. Fucking (laughs) degrees or plaques on your wall, lines on your CV. Stop acting like a piece of shit. And so I just want to say, like, honestly, instead of using all of that energy and knowledge to try and just be another abusive piece of shit, maybe, like, use that energy and knowledge to become a better man. Yes. So. Uplift women and other marginalized people and, you know. But, yeah, that's. (laughs) For good. But yeah, if you are dating um, an academic asshole like this, um, you don't need him, sis. So, (laughs) Period, boo. We are going to take a quick break and we will be back in a few. What's up, Buttercups? Want to stay connected with Two Happy Hoes even after our episodes air? Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Two Happy Hoes to stay up to date on all our new content and material. The Two Happy Hoes social media is our main space to talk about our new episodes, showcase some of our favorite segments, and give special shout outs to our audience. So follow Two Happy Hoes at the number two, Happy Hoes, H E A U X E S. That's the number two. Happy Hose, H-E-A-U-X-E-S. We hope that you all give us a follow. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, uh, we we might as well just keep it moving because, oh, she chirping. Ooh. Alrighty, <laughs> moving on. Ooh, this one is so timely. We have a whole tip for you all this episode. And uh, I just must say, we, we love... I, at least here in the southeast and the east coast where I live, um, it's always like you always got a little chilly something where you live. Um, but it's getting like that nice, crisp, cooler fall weather. Um, and I would just like to bring it to your attention that just because this is taking place, you don't have to wear fucking Ugg boots. Okay. <laughs> Oh my God. Like, just because, okay, the temperature went from 70 to 69, and here you go, putting on them damn Ugg boots. 69, though? I feel my, that's like a consistent temperature over here in the Bay. I mean, I'm being dramatic. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it has no, been, but like, I can see people doing that. To high 60s. But yeah, I mean, 
granted, I haven't seen it this year. This is why I'm just giving this tip because I mean, I barely leave the house. We're in a pandemic, you know, I haven't been, but I know for a fact, if I was out and about living my regular life, non-pandemic, and this was the weather, these motherfuckers would have on some Ugg boots. I, I just, A, I feel like my feet would be sweating, but also read the motherfucking seasons, unless it is fucking (laughs) brisk as fuck outside. Shiver me timbers, okay? Don't, (laughs) I'm just, (laughs) don't. You ain't, if you can't wear long johns, don't wear Uggs. Right, like what's the point? Why are you It's basically a fur coat for your feet. Yes. So it does, it doesn't make sense. And honestly, I I mean, I've never owned a pair of Uggs. Um, at one point, maybe in high school, I think I did want some, but I'm kind of grateful I never had them. So, you know, okay. and I, honestly, I never really needed them. My feet so were I always did, fine. I did have <laughs> Uggs and I don't, I'm not an Ugg hater, but I like to read the seasons. Like nothing... Right. <laughs> On a, you know, a 43 crisp December day, a pair of Uggs appropriate. Mm-hmm. On a degree day that's 69 degrees, but the real feel is 72, not <laughs> an appropriate Ugg day. And obviously we're not trying to police what people wear, but like we said, just read the seasons. This is just a tip. Yes, just a tip. I do think there is a short window for those living in states that like experience most of the seasons. There's a short period of of autumn um, where I think it's really acceptable for you to wear Uggs, right? Um, But honestly, I wouldn't even say to wear them in the winter because they begin fucked up because of the snow and shit. Um, Well, I mean, I live in a place where it snows like when Haley's comet comes so like in the winter here which really fall in most places you can wear your Ugg boots but like now it's not the time yeah no it's still it's 90 degrees out here today oh damn it's yeah 75 here today um so it's very nice yeah um, 92 it says and I'm like oh shit Okay, that pisses me off, because when I came to visit you in July, a bitch was fucking freezing. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. This like, year, but was it <laughs> last year, two years? Whenever, I came to visit you one July. And it yeah. Was- yeah, someone, told, uh, someone texted me the other day, and they're like, just so you know, we're going to have a heat wave. And I'm like, okay, thank you, weatherman. Um, but also, like... <laughs> I most days most days in the bay don't get over like 80 um so I'm kind of like shook that it's 92 outside I mean we know global warming yeah we (laughs) we know but (laughs) but yeah for the day read the seasons okay so now we're gonna transition into uh, one of our favorite segments of white people are not okay. Um, And this one is really near and dear to my heart um, because it just fucking keeps happening to me. (laughs) But um, (laughs) when white and non-black people of color try to check black people about black things, So, (laughs) I will take you all down a little 
story. Um, Paint your picture. Yeah. So I think, I think I'll start with this white man back in the day. Uh, so we're not going to get into his character as a person, but um, essentially this white man um, back at my old institution that I used to work at, he, he started talking to me uh, when I got hired. So he started emailing me and stuff like that. And he really wanted to be my friend. Um, he wanted to be more than that, but he was kind of trying to claim he wanted to be my friend. <laughs> I would just like to say I warned him about this person when you came back from your interview, but no one ever wants to listen. Okay. You know, you know that a bitch got <laughs> to learn for herself. I know. I know. You know, so know I'm a Pisces. So I'm, I don't care if it's four years later, I'm going to say, I told you so. I know, but, um, get on to this piece of shit. Right. So he, he ends up, uh texting me this article link that was about and it was it was written by a non-black person of color talking about how we need to stop saying the word savage and he just like plopped it into my messages and was like just wanted to hear your thoughts (laughs) and so I'm just like uh okay uh so I sat there and I was like I think we can have a larger conversation around like, because uh, I think the U.S. just has such a long, violent history of uh, indigenous people on this Absolutely. land, right? Um, and even had a whole slogan of like, uh, kill, well, not kill the savage, uh, save the man, but like kill the Indian, save the man. But all of it is related to this idea of savagery and how... Um, indigenous folk are need a new way of life that only white people can colonize the shit out of them to get Mm -hmm. right so i think we can have a larger conversation around that history but also as a black person and knowing the history of blackness within this country and knowing the history of how race was even constructed or even anti-blackness globally we know that a large part of that was the framing of Africans as savages. So (laughs) I'm just sitting here like, yeah, we as black people, I think like in close, in close spaces, we can have a further and deeper conversation around like how to build better solidarity with like indigenous folks and like all this stuff and like shared contexts and history around like the racialization of savagery and all this stuff, right? But how dare you, a white person, sit there and send me this to be like, I would love to hear your thoughts. And I shared that. Because we, first of all, we know why you put that shit in my inbox. Because right. I'm jamming out to Meg the Stallion, finding <laughs> my good black ass business. And like, you gotta come shit on it. like like we said we recognize and um you know educate ourselves on the history but like that's not why you put it in my um that's not why you put it in my inbox period right and I also I just found it quite interesting that 
you would put it in a black person's inbox because we know that the word savage is just so ingrained within like black culture and like um aave right like i mean as chelsea just said megan made a whole last song about it so like we we do say it right i i still bang that shit so shout out okay tiktok would not be what it is today without my good sis and her song Mm-hmm. And honestly, TikTok tried to ruin that. And then, you know, uh, fucking Blue Ivy sitting there being like, let's let's make a whole new remix. Let's put my mama on the track. <laughs> let's make this a whole new song. That made um, some moves for us, okay? But yeah, I just found it really interesting that, because then I did explain this. I was like, I do understand where the person is coming from and also... Black people have reclaimed this word for themselves, and I don't think it's appropriate for non-Black people to sit there and police the language of Black people that has been used against Black people for for centuries. So, uh, and he's just like, yeah, but, and I'm like, nah, nah, dude, there's no fucking but. Um, so, I mean, there's that. Um and then just recently, and I thought I was wild. I thought I was wild for thinking this, um, but I'm so glad I was talking to someone and they validated how I was feeling. So I work uh, with, with some partners on campus um, and they're Asi- they identify as Asian. Um, and so in most meetings with them, I am the only black person in the space. Um, and we were just doing this um, activity and someone asked a question of like, who would you want to have dinner with either dead or alive or whatever and why? And so I said, Rihanna, um, because, you know, she's a badass bitch and I feel yeah. like sh- she would make any fucking setting amazing. Um, and we would just have a lot of fun. Uh, so Rihanna, <laughs> if you listen to this, hit me up. Is let me know, let me know. We'll wear our mask, social distance. Um, but then um one of the people in the space was like, Oh, well, did you watch that YouTube video of her pronouncing her name? And I sat there and I was like, Oh yeah, I did watch it. I was like, and she says her name like Rihanna, like you know, different accent on on her name. Um and Honestly, she's been introducing herself like that all the time. So I don't know why this particular video has like really exploded. Yeah. But, you know, so I sat there. I was like, yeah, I I should probably think uh, I was like, I should probably adopt saying like the correct pronunciation of her name. You know, we could have left it there. And then they further just went in and was like, yeah, so I'm just wondering, like, why you wouldn't, like, pronounce her name correctly or, like, why we wouldn't, all the while, not pronouncing her name at all. So I'm just, like, sitting here and I'm, like, feeling really targeted. And so I'm sitting here and I'm, like, yeah, you're right. Like, I I should do better, you know, obviously pronunciation matters and, like, all that stuff. But I just felt, like, really off in the conversation and 
knowing me, I was sitting there like analyzing the whole thing. And I'm like, wow, I'm really fucked up and like anti-black. I'm sitting here like saying her name completely wrong, all this stuff, (laughs) like having a fucking- That's so fucked up that this, not to say like you're perfect and like you already had acknowledged that you needed to do better, but like this non-black person is trying to make you a black woman feel that way. Yeah. And so I was sitting there trying to like, and, (laughs) and someone was like, no, it makes complete sense. Like they were like, yeah, of course you can like feel a little bad and like obviously start to pronounce her name correctly, all that stuff. Like, I think it's great that you recognize that. And also it's not okay for you as the only black person in the space for non-black people to sit there and like basically try to uh, yeah or like try to drag me in like public or like expose me in this like weird way and like yeah in other settings sure like I would be like go off and like tell all these other non-black people of color like to say Rihanna's name right (laughs) like just you know I would yeah go do the Lord's work like that's cool um but don't like put me on display like and also it was something like you could have just like took me aside and been like hey da 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 like what do you think about this like so it was just really really weird um and I don't know if you've had experiences like this but I which I'm sure you have but just like I was trying to think about it and nothing like comes to mind like immediately and I think for two reasons um I know for a fact that I scare a lot of non-black people like just with my personality so like most of the time I mean you've been in rooms with me and had experience with non-black people like Loki being scared of me um because I have a strong personality I'm no by no means a mean ill-hearted hate hateful person but because I have a strong personality most people are like reluctant non-black people at least are reluctant Mm -hmm. to try to check me um Mm. because of that um but also uh I just um yeah I can't think of any instance but I I know that it has happened to me I'm sure um Mm. before and I can imagine it being something related to like clothing or hair, or like name pronunciation, but it just makes me mad because you're, I get it. You're trying to do better. Not you, but these, the people who like, you know, are trying to promote this, you're trying to do better. You want people to be more conscious. That is great. But like, this is not the way to do it. Like mm-hmm. the way you're doing it is anti-black in itself. And so, <laughs> like, right, right, you're trying to like demonize me as a black person, or demonize you, or demonize a black person, and um, there are just so many other ways to go about it in a non-oppressive, like, non-white supremacist, non-like um, demeaning way. And so, next time you want to do some shit like that, because I, I know you told me another reason, another thing that happened with someone like bringing up something, and. It's just like check yourself, right? Please. Like check, like, check your. We're not into tone policing and anything like that, but check your privilege and check how you want to address people when it comes to things like that. Because the way you address people can also just be as big of a problem as what you're trying to address. Right, and I think there's like room to be like, if I was a black person out of these streets, being like, 
yes, um, I love Trump or like something like that, then yes, I I would never, but like, (laughs) yes, drag the fuck out of me. Cause honestly, at the end of the day, like, I don't think that's, that's, that's not anti-black. Like that's just solidarity with like hating a horrible person in this country. However, I think, um, when it comes to smaller things like that, like, I wouldn't say particularly it was like exactly problematic because I think even Rihanna herself, like is sitting here, like she has allowed people for like a decade or more to like call her Rihanna. Like I'm sure herself, like the way she just be calling shit out, I I doubt she would sit there. She had like the biggest issue with it and like not have said anything by this point, Mm -hmm. Um, which doesn't, doesn't um, make it okay. But yeah, it doesn't absolve me from like not saying her name. Uh, correctly right but I think I I do just want to bring that also to the table but like yeah there was other ways to approach it and just the whole I can understand people wanting to be an ally and like call out problematic things but like you also with that also comes with the um, responsibility of like understanding all the identities you know, in place, understanding the dynamics of the conversation, understanding like how you're going to navigate that in a, in, you know, the least like problematic way as possible. Mm-hmm. Or in so, like Because of like how the one person slid into your DMs, I get it, but that was at least in private. But mm-hmm. the person who tried to call you out in front of all these other non-Black people with you being the only Black person in the room, like, can conceptualizing how that is harmful as well yeah yeah so honestly if you're a white person and you you want to check a black person about like I would say particularly blackness or black things um or honestly a lot of um, no I'll just keep it at blackness and like black things like not saying that black people can't perpetuate anti-blackness because we do like there's some coonery happening out (laughs) out in these streets like i I know it exists however honestly i feel like that's black folks business okay so like leave me the fuck alone stay in a child's place (laughs) (laughs) everybody used to say that shit all the time but yeah like you know or if you are going to think about it or try to address it, do it in a non-harmful way. Yeah. Or, yeah, I think just, like, maybe even just, like, uh, pulling someone aside and, like, trying to have a conversation is fine rather than just, like, thinking in that moment, you're like, I'm going to save the day and I'm going to call them out about some, like, wild shit. It's like, um... And what did you really get out of this? Right. Like, hold up. Like, like, I get it. You know, like, like you said, it's important that pronunciation, recognizing Rihanna's culture. um, But um, like, what did you really get out of calling me a black woman out or me? I say me, you a black woman out in this space. Like, what did that person really get? You know? 
Honestly, nothing. You right. You right. Yeah. So. So. Well, yes. If you're a white person or a non-black person of color, um, trying to do trying to do that shit, um, just don't. Um, or I don't know. Re- read up on it. Re- use Google. okay awesome so for today's episode um on our real tea segment we have dr tiffany wiggins i'm here to talk about mentorship and imposter syndrome um so dr wiggins welcome and we would love for you to give us a little intro and talk to you um talk to us about how you know us and share a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me. Hey, everybody. I'm Dr. Tiffany Wiggins. I serve as a um, higher education practitioner scholar. I've been working in higher ed for a little over a decade in various capacities, various um, institutions, and um, I'm also the creator and founder of Black Girl Mentor. It's a platform um, as well as the host of the Black Girl Mentor podcast where we center um, the power, the purpose, the practice um, of mentorship for by and amongst Black women and girls. I'm a native of Norfolk, Virginia, which is in the like 757 region of Virginia, but currently living in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, that's where I met Chelsea. So I work at the institution in which she is a doc student. And then through Chelsea, um, um, I've gotten connected to Rachel. Um, I'm also what I call a single co-parent. I don't like to say I'm a single mom, but I am a single co-parent. I like to acknowledge that I'm not doing this thing by myself. Um, I have an eight-year-old daughter, Zara. So we're here in Raleigh, you know, trying to do our best through virtual everything these days, drinking our water and moisturizing our skin and just trying to <laughs> trying to get through 2020 right now. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> virtual university, virtual elementary school, virtual yes. work. Ooh, virtual social interactions. I'm like, who ne- whoever thought the day where I hung out with my friends would be on Zoom, but right, right, right. <laughs> here we are. This morning, I know, like earlier today, I had a, a family meeting <laughs> via Zoom because we got to plan this ski trip in, in the fall, I mean, in the winter, but, but yes, it has definitely taken over our world, but here we are. Absolutely. So you talked about your platform and your podcast, Black Girl Mentor. So can yeah. you talk to us a little bit about your mentorship journey and how you would kind of define mentorship? Sure. So honestly, my mentorship journey, I call it kind of a little bit of a winding road. Um, Those who know me now are like, oh, I'm all about mentorship. But to be honest, when I think back, mentorship really wasn't a huge part of like my upbringing or, you know, when I was younger, I didn't, it wasn't something that I I sought. Um, I was a pretty good student. So I did well academically and socially. I had friends and, you know, all that stuff. So it wasn't something that was like, driving me where I was looking, I was looking for. And of course there were people around who were there to support me, you know, along the way, but it just wasn't something that then I recognized as mentorship. It didn't come um, probably until much later, Mm. but of course in hindsight, like had I probably put more effort into creating those relationships, I could have gotten even further. Um, But of course, you know, we live and we learn, but Probably it wasn't until my mid-20s is when mentorship really started to play like a really important part in my life. I was, you know, in my career a few years, I would say probably entry level, kind of moving towards mid-level um, in kind of starting to get into 
I was in grad school or kind of moving towards my doc program. And um, I was introduced to a woman named Dr. Joelle Carter. Um, and funny story is that I actually met her. She's a black woman. And I met her through another black woman, uh, Dr. <laughs> Carissa Morton. <laughs> so all the worlds come together. But this is actually, I was thinking about going to a doc program. And the only person who I knew, the only black woman that I knew who had a doctorate degree was Dr. Morton. And Dr. Morton was the mother of a girl that I went to college with. Mm. So I asked her, I was like, hey, you think your mom would talk to me about um, pursuing a PhD? And she was like, oh, you know, of course, absolutely. So she connected us and we had a really great conversation. But she was like, but through that conversation, she was like, I think there's somebody else who might be better suited for you or could talk to you more about this process. At the time, I was living in the D.C. area. Um, Dr. Carter was living in the D.C. area. So we were able to kind of connect. And it was like instant, you know, instant um, connection there. And she just like really kind of took me under her wing at that point. And um, eventually we ended up working at the same university together. And she kind of introduced me to SACSA, which is um, a regional higher ed association that I'm a part of. And um, she got me into presenting at conferences. So you know, it was, it was just a different experience that I'd ever had before, you know, and she was the one who was like, hey, there's a call for proposals, like, what you want to do, I'm here to support you, so the first time I ever presented at a conference, she was my co-presenter, she um, let me take the lead, and she was there to kind of support me through it, and she knew everybody at this particular conference, so to kind of give me that stage and that platform um, at a really critical time in my career was really important. I was like, yo, this is dope. Like, this is what women should be doing for one another, because I'd never experienced that before, and that really uh, kind of motivated me to do, you know, started doing the same thing with other, with other women. Um, eventually, though, unfortunately, then I started in other circles, being around Black women particularly, and I'll probably use the context of Black women throughout this conversation just because that's what I'm most familiar with, but um, had some other experiences where I was around some Black women who I felt like was doing the opposite of what Dr. Carter had been doing, right? So I'm like, yo, why, why they, you know, like if I'm here and they're in a position where they can help or support, then why aren't they doing that? And it just really opened my eyes up to kind of changing, like creating some sort of space where like, that's not the norm. You know, I'm like, we're all here trying to do our best and um, rise the ranks and just be good people. So if you're in a position to help, even if it's something as simple as let me connect you with somebody else, then why wouldn't you mm -hmm. do that? So that's kind of where, honestly, where the platform came from, where Black Girl Mentor came from, because that actually kind of, um, as I was developing my topic for my PhD, and I knew I wanted to study Black women in higher ed, but I thought that mentorship piece was really important. So I was like, I got to find a way <laughs> to incorporate this in my research. And then, of course, as I started doing my own research, there really wasn't a lot of, you know, scholarship mm -hmm. and li literature on the topic. So I was like, cool, well, let me see what I can do to kind of fill that gap a little bit. And then, of course, through talking with my participants, recognizing that it's not happening the way we would like it to be and that there were so many benefits that people get from mentorship, but if we as black women aren't getting it, then some things have to change. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of, some, of course, as a result of that, that's where Black Girl Mentor was kind of born out of that need to, to or that gap rather, to kind of fill it so that what I call sisterhood as a lifestyle. So we can kind of promote this idea of like what mentorship um, can look like and how it can benefit us as, as Black women. You brought up something really interesting and something that I've had 
um, experience with. You talked about some Black women that you were around that were that were actually acting the opposite of Dr. Carter, like not being a mentor, not serving in that space. And I remember in my first professional job, I worked in a predominantly Black school district and both of the principals at the schools I worked at were black women and I thought those were like ample opportunities for me to be mentored and guided by these black women but the exact opposite happened it's almost Mm -hmm. like they were plotting for me not to be successful and so where do you think some of that behavior or mentality comes from with black women in certain um, positions yeah I've had this conversation a few times and I and I don't know that there's one particular answer for it. Um, and I think it's very deep rooted because I think some of it is we are, we're kind of ingrained to be competitive with one another, you know, like we're kind of socialize in that way. Um, and it's almost this idea of there's only space for one of us, you know, so mm-hmm. if it's only going to be space for one of us, then it needs to be me and let me get her out of here <laughs> sort, sort of thing. It's like this feeling of a threat. And I, I don't really know why it's that way. Cause I don't see it that way and, and of course you know we there's historical uh <laughs> there's historical reasons as to mm-hmm. you know us feeling that way but I think that contributes to it and it's just a in my opinion it's like an old way of thinking and my mm-hmm. hope is that you know our generation and those coming up behind us we can kind of change the narrative with that so that when you do have a new professional coming to a workspace or um, a new black woman in a graduate program that it's not automatically like she's my competition, but like, I'm here to help you. I'm here to lift you up. We're going to do this thing together. You know, like let's both of us see ourselves at the finish line and let's get us there. Um, as opposed to, you know, let me kick dirt up in your face to kind of slow down your progress so that you don't get in my way. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, like I said, I've had a few conversations just kind of about the topic, but also about just people's experiences with that you know I've heard so many stories about women saying like oh I started this new job and my supervisor was a black woman and I was so excited and then within months you know that all gets torn down and they're like and then it makes them feel a certain way they're like okay was it me what did I do and then kind of the cycle continues and that's unfortunate you know um and and it plays out in different ways and you know, I'm trying, I don't want to get all nerdy or whatever, but, but in my research, um, when I was like studying mentorship, I saw this article and I was like, yo, this is kind of deep where, and I think it pertains to women, that particular article was about women in general, but I do see it particularly with black women where they call it's like the, the queen bee syndrome, of course, right? There's only mm-hmm. one, I'm the, I'm the queen here. But then there's also this idea of this princess bee where it's like, yeah, I'm still in charge. Um, I'm not going to threaten you as long as um, like, I'll be helpful to you if you're another black woman, as long as you're not in my direct line of report, right? If you, as long as you don't report to me or I have some sort of um, mm-hmm. power over you, I'll help you. So if you're in the other department or if you're in another program, if nothing that you can do can kind of impede on what I'm doing, I'm your girl. But as soon as anything, but if you're over here um, and you can potentially be a threat to my career, my money, my whatever, like, you know, there's no, um, there's no opportunity for you here. And I'm starting to see that too play out um, in some ways, which I'm, you know, cause then it kind of creates this confusion for folks because those who are experiencing it, and then those who are like, well, she's a great mentor to me. I don't understand why she's treating you like that. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. I'm triggered. 
me too, right? <laughs> but that happens because you're like, okay, I'm a black woman, she's a black woman. That's my boss, or that's my supervisor, or that's my coach, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why I'm getting treated this way, but you over here, she's giving you all the gems, and she's giving you all the time and, and mentorship. Um, but that's because they're not a direct threat. So I can still show up as a mentor, but not to the person who really is seeking the mentorship <laughs> from me. So. It's, it's warped and crazy, I know. But that's why I feel like we we have to continue to have these conversations. Absolutely. And I know for me personally that, that those experiences definitely have shaped a great deal of how I pour into particularly my Black women students, but yeah. has shaped my entire like um, way of thinking and working um, mm-hmm. as a professional. Because I remember my real mentor at the time was, and she's still one of my mentors, Dr. Yarbrough Peoples, she was telling me like, there's a reason that they feel this way against you. And that ultimately, even though it sucks, that means you're doing something right, that they're having these feelings towards you. Right. So, yeah, um, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, that's kind of a good segue into our next kind of topic is, what is imposter syndrome and how do you see it, um, particularly in your professional realm um, or personal realm, affecting Black women? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was actually thinking, I was like, you know what, that contributes to imposter syndrome (laughs) for a lot of Black women. But um, the way I kind of look at or define imposter syndrome is this, um, it's like this severe feeling of like self-doubt or inadequacy. Um, and honestly, it can play out. Anyone can experience imposter syndrome. It's not necessarily just for Black women, but I think Black women feel it more often <laughs> and maybe um, more deeply than, than others. Um, and then with that, this feeling of inadequacy, and this really pertains to certain spaces or being around certain people or certain environments. And you feel like despite how much how many credentials I have or how much talent I bring to the table or even my reason for being there, I still, I still don't live up. I'm a fraud. I'm an imposter in this space. And it just kind of creates, um, it can kind of create some anxiety for, for folks who are experiencing that. So for, yeah, so for Black women, when you are already, it's, it's so complex because, you know, Black women are the, are the go-tos. So if something mm-hmm. was broken, we go to Black women, right? Um, but are we going to get, well, we most likely don't get the recognition for that work. Mm-hmm. They want us to do it, but then they don't want to give us the credit for doing it. Um, so it's like, okay, well, clearly I have it because you keep coming to me to fix the problems, to make it happen, to do whatever the thing is. But then now, but at the same time, I feel inadequate. I don't feel like I truly trust myself. I feel like I don't know enough to um, to be here or to be around these people. So, yeah, um, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> Definitely. So I guess, what are some ways that you um, think about mitigating this imposter syndrome for Black women? Yeah, I think the first thing is that you have to acknowledge what it is. So for people in general, but, you know, particularly for Black women, we kind of suffer in silence a lot of times. So, you know, we have these feelings, we have these thoughts, and then it's always like, is this, is, is, it, is it just me? You know, and you always think like, okay, it's just, it's not my problem. It's, it's for something that I have to f- figure out myself. Um, but I think you have to acknowledge what it, what it is and recognize that there's something that's triggering, you know, those feelings. Um, but I think once we, we acknowledge it, um, we have, by doing that, we kind of free ourselves from the shame that comes mm-hmm. with it. Um, and I think also, too, we have to, a way to mitigate it is to give ourselves po- positive self-talk. I don't think we do that 
enough. I think if anything, we criticize ourselves about yeah. every single little thing. Triggered again. <laughs> <laughs> right. We have this degree of like perfectionism and superwoman and you know all these things. And we're never it's very rare that we're like, yeah, I'm dope. Yeah, I'm smart. Yeah, I'm rocking this, like whatever. Um, but we have it, right? Like we have to continue to, to pour into ourselves because we can't, there's no guarantee that anybody else is going to do it. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to continue to be successful, if we're going to continue to lead our communities and our schools and our families, like we have to make sure that we feel we feel good about what it is that we're doing. So I think that having positive self-talk is definitely helpful. And then also being in the community with other Black women um, so that we can pick apart each other, right? You know, the sister circles are, I think, are very crucial um, to helping to mitigate that, that imposter syndrome. Because if you acknowledge it, and then you're talking to your homegirl or your sister, and she's also saying like, oh, I'm feeling the same way. And of course, both of y'all can look at each other like, why you feel that way? Because you, yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> right, you, you don't, you're doing all this stuff, what you mean? And it kind of breaks some of that down, but at the same time, and then also builds you up because then they can remind you, girl, you've done this, you're in the law school, you you doing this, you're leading this initiative, all these things. And I think that kind of helps to build the confidence back up. And I think that's part of the imposter syndrome is that your confidence gets gets weakened um, by all of these, whether it's, you know, truth behind it or not, like all of these factors that are contributing to um, you feeling like you don't belong or that you're undeserving of what you have. Even though when you write it all down, you're like, I have all these credentials, I'm doing all these things. But for some reason, there's something still inside of you that makes you feel like, um, you shouldn't have it or you shouldn't be there. Um, what else to mitigate imposter syndrome? I think a lot of it is really just kind of figuring out a way to separate the facts <laughs> from um, the facts from the fiction, right? So I'm like, like I said, if you kind of write down all the things you're doing and you really be like, okay, it's, I'm doing it over here. Like you have to believe that, you know, <laughs> like believe that I can do it. Um, and I don't know about you, Chelsea. I don't know if you had an experience where you might have saw a job or an, an opportunity and for whatever reason you feel like you you don't know you, you know you weren't going to apply for it or you wasn't you weren't fit for it and then you see the person who actually got the job and you know they're like you're like what i could like walk them under the, <laughs> under the table and i'm like if, if that's what they were looking for and i have all of this extra stuff like come on so i think we have to like i said remembering who we are where we come from um, and what we can bring to the table. And sometimes it may look like we're being cocky or we're being overly confident, but if that's what it takes to kind of quiet that voice in our heads to say we don't belong or this isn't for us, then so be it. But, you know, like you said, nobody's going to big you up, A, like yourself or your homegirl, <laughs> your homegirl. So um, you have to use those resources um, to get rid of that self-doubt. I, I think it's so funny that you mentioned that because I was um, – hanging out with two of my friends this past Friday and I was like kind of battling a little bit of imposter syndrome and my friend was like girl if you don't be quiet you out here doing all this stuff she's like I'll just be randomly she was like she gave the example where like the meme where it's like no one absolutely nobody like my friend is about to be a doctor (laughs) and I know for me um particularly I have a hard time like celebrating myself and my accomplishments because for two reasons. One, like the imposter syndrome, like, was it actually good enough? Why did I get this accomplishment? And two, um, 
as black women, we, we're out here doing it and we're dope. And so a lot of things that are accomplishments sometimes to me seems like regular. I'm just like, well, that's just right. what I was supposed to do. So yes. I always yep. have a hard time like celebrating that. But then in turn, being an educator, having to teach my students and mentor my students about combating these things as well, when it's something that I'm obviously dealing with. Um, and I know that my mentor is dealing with it as well. And so right. it's like a cycle. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why I think it's important like we have to acknowledge it and then be around other people because if you didn't communicate that with your friend, you know, she's like you would never know that she's out here like proud of you and bigging you up and all this stuff. Um, but you needed that, right? You need to kind of her to bring you back to center to be like, Okay, you're right. You know what I mean? I'm doing I'm out here doing the thing. Um, we need to be in community. And I think particularly for black women, we that community is really important. And I'm not saying you gotta have 20 girlfriends but you need you need to surround yourself with people who are going to remind you who you are and what you're about and what you can do um and then like i said also because they're dope as well seeing what they're doing too is also motivating and like you know what like our squad is dope we're we gonna keep doing dope stuff out here so you know get out of here with all, get out of here with all that pride talk yes definitely um i would love to go uh, talk a little bit about Sister Circle. Um, yeah. could, would you tell our audience what a Sister Circle is? Sure. Um, I define the Sister Circle. I wasn't, I didn't get an actual definition, but um, I look at it as a counter space where um, women or Black women can kind of come together and be a support for one another. Um, it could be formal or it could be informal. Um, so sometimes it's peers who are all around the same age and level of experience, but um, other times it includes um, women who may have a little bit more experience, um, whether in work or in life, and can provide some support inside perspective about whatever, you know, if there's kind of a central focus of that particular sister circle, they can kind of provide some insight and resources as it pertains to that. Um, but it could be a group of girlfriends or it could be a group of work buddies that all come together. In my previous institution, we had a sister circle where it was one of those things where I call you and I'm like, I need to go on a walk. And <laughs> we knew what that meant. And we gathered forces together and we took our walk and we, you know, talked about whatever we need to talk about. And then we went back to business um, or we would intentionally have a, a lunch, you know, where we would kind of share some of this stuff. Or it could be about parenting or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But it's really just this idea of having kind of a, a um, intentional support circle um, of other women who may be experiencing some similar um, life experiences. Awesome. Yeah, I, I wanted to make that definition clear because a lot of people yeah. are operating in those spaces um, in an informal capacity, but don't necessarily yeah. have a name to put to it. Yeah. And I think they're super important. Like, like I said, I encourage everyone to try to find one, especially, especially if you're in education. Um, a lot of times black women are probably the only one in their department or very few. And um, being able to kind of have that connection with other women on campus where you can kind of come together and just kind of woosah for a little bit or to be like, okay, this happened today. I need to just say it out loud because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I should be feeling about it. Um, those those types of supports are very helpful. Yeah, and I think when I think about my own research interests um, related to like Black women in STEM, I think those types of spaces are so important. I don't think they exist as much as they should, but I would love to integrate that idea into 
um, STEM education, just because I know how important it is, um, especially yeah. with the barriers that Black women are already facing the world in education and even more in STEM as well. Right. Yes. And it's just a space that's free of oppression, to be honest, you know? <laughs> yeah. And there are um, so few places in this world that we could go where yeah. we have that. Absolutely. So, like, you know what? You understand all of me. Um, and even if you don't, you have some sort of point of reference that you can be in a non-judgmental space with me as I share what's mm -hmm. happening. Yeah, I think for me, particularly, even like the phrase, you know, your skin folk ain't always your kin folk. I try to like integrate sister circles in those safe spaces in like every aspect of my life. Like I'm on Google, like black women optometrists, black, <laughs> black women, yeah. you know, dentists. I'm like trying to look. So even when I go to the dentist and get my eyes checked, I still want to feel like safe and have that connection. Absolutely. Like my therapist is a black woman. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to have a primary uh, black woman primary care physician um, prior to going to graduate school. So like just making sure I have that safety in all kinds of spaces um, as well. And then letting these women like know what I'm doing because they always like start to build a connection in that, in that way. Yeah, no, I, I think that's super important. I mean, you know, I've only been in Raleigh for a little over a year. So I'm now getting to a place where I'm like building my like, doctor and did this you know that whole team and I went to my first doctor's appointment and she referred me to another one and she was very you know she was a black woman and because of COVID it actually my appointment kept getting pushed back so I'm just now going to go see her not too long ago but I and I probably could have went to see somebody else but I was like nope like nope. she's a black woman I've done my research like I want to check I want to see her um and I'm glad that I did and I waited but then, you know, some stuff came up and she was like, oh, okay, well, I want to refer you to this sort of doctor. And then she was very attention. Like, I would recommend X, Y, and Z. Dr. A is a Black woman. And I was, you know, just for her to even say that. And it was like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you recognize that that's something that would be important to me. Um, so, yeah, we, we got to get the support in every, every space, especially in the medical space. Because, yeah. Because yeah. they're trying to kill us. Exactly. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> well, I get to like transition the conversation like this, but we've already talked about in a in some like negative experiences that can come with mentorship. So talk to us about how to break up with a mentor because we know a mentor relationship, like any relationship, sometimes might not be working and we might have to go our separate ways. Yeah. Um, and I think I was I was thinking about that. I'm like, I think it really depends on how that relationship started. Um because you have to consider have to consider the relationship there. So some people have many mentors and they only talk to that particular person for one aspect of life. So it may be that, okay, I may talk to you because I'm trying, I want you to be my mentor to help me go to grad school. Okay, well now we've got to grad school. I feel good. I got my barons. I got my sister circle. I don't really need you anymore. In my opinion, you don't necessarily have to say, I don't need you anymore, but maybe, you know, our conversations just aren't as, as frequent anymore. Maybe I'm just giving you check-ins here, there, because I do think it's important to not burn any bridges, right? Because mm -hmm. you never know how these people are going to show back up in your life or if you may need them again. So honestly, I feel like unless they do something that is like detrimental to, you know, your, your health or your reputation or your profession, I wouldn't necessarily cut it off all the way 
um, I would just say maybe it's a matter of really, of course, being appreciative and gracious for what they've contributed to you. Um, and then maybe kind of just slow down the communication a little bit. But, you know, like I said, maybe doing some check-ins here, there. Maybe we still stay connected via LinkedIn or, you know, what have you. And they can kind of um, congratulate you or you can um, congratulate them and that sort of thing. But I'm always kind of hesitant to, like, break up <laughs> with the mentor. I think I think the relationship can shift for sure. Yeah. And I think that happens a lot of times, too, where I've seen it where mentors once served in that kind of uh, capacity where they're doing the guiding and the directing and providing the advice. And then, you know, mentee kind of grows and flourishes and becomes, comes into their own. And now men, old mentor is now talking to old mentee, like, okay, well now that you're in this space, mm-hmm. help me out, share, share with me something, share with me what you know. Um, so I do think the relationships can do shift sometimes. Um, and that's okay. But to put a hard and fast, like, oh, we're done. Um, yeah. I probably would, would um, recommend against that. But I will say, I think it is important to, to recognize too that, you know, we talked about there being some kind of negative sides to mentorship. And sometimes the mentor isn't always the best person. You know what I mean? Like sometimes their reputation, um, some things happen between you two where you feel like they are detrimental to you or they are having a negative impact on how people are perceiving you because that's another thing to think about. When you say someone's going to be my mentor, you have to think about their reputation as well mm-hmm. and how other people perceive them because now people are going to associate you with them. Yeah. And if they, like I said, if they do something that's really negative or harming to what you're trying to do, it may require that you kind of um, fall back a little bit and um, make it clear that thank you for your time. Thank you for what you've done. Um, I wish you well. Yeah. You know, so sometimes that's necessary, but I don't think that's very often. I think that's some severe cases, but I just wanted to make it clear that not every relationship, mentor relationship ends on a happy note. I hate to say that, but, (laughs) but that's the truth. Um, So I guess two things related to that. I think um, you bring up a good point about like that hard and fast, like breakup, especially in a area like higher ed, where it's so small and you're like always just a couple of degrees separated from someone. And you work in higher ed, I work in higher ed, Rachel's in higher ed. And so it's amazing how connected you can be. So having those, the dissolution of a relationship in like a negative way can have an impact somewhere along the line because we know it's so small. Absolutely. (laughs) And then when you talked about like the detrimental breakup with a mentor, all I could think about was probably the mentees of the, um, the, what what was her name? I don't want to even name her, but the, the white woman who was passing as an Afro Latina. Oh, um, (laughs) Um, Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, um, that's a no, no, not Krug. Is it Krug? Yeah, I think it is. But she was that's a real name, right? I was like, that's a real name. Yes. Um, like I, I can imagine her mentees like breaking up with her, and like, all right, I'm, all right, I'm gonna head out because no, and but it's like I think about it in a sense, but like it's so sad because while there were many that were on to her case, there were many students who did look to her as a mentor, as representation, and like. Right. She took advantage of that and so absolutely i just think that's like a gross misuse of like your power and your right and your um that you have to help people mm-hmm. but also like now how is that impacting their reputation like even though they mm-hmm. had to do with that right 
where, like you said, when you have a mentor, they oftentimes associate you with that per- yeah. um, that person. So whew, it's a sticky world. It is, it <laughs> is. So, well, I would love to end on like a positive note about how uh, people can provide better mentorship to Black black women. So how can non-Black um, people and non-women mentors provide better mentorship to Black women? Yeah, I think, and this kind of goes with where we are in the world <laughs> world right now, but I think very simply, it's first you have to check your biases, uh, because I think Black women have a, and of course everyone has a unique experience, but Black women, their walk through the world mm-hmm looks very differently than many other than many other people so i think first you have to check your biases your privileges and your assumptions because i think as a black woman as a black woman um, mother as a black woman professional i feel like people are always making assumptions about what i'm going through and i'm like ho 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 give me a moment to say no give me a moment to explain if i can do this thing don't make decisions for me so i think it's important especially if you're not a woman especially if you're not um um, a black person to to check those biases about what you think about um, black women. Massage noir is real, you know. So, and some people don't even realize that they are kind of doing that, um, and that's the kind of hatred towards black women and uh, black women particularly. So let me how <laughs> to define yeah. that since I use the term. Um, but even once you do that, I think in other ways to to better to provide better mentorship for black women. Um, is to continue to do the work and explore and research and learn more about this, the experiences of Black women. And I'm really excited because, like I said before, as I was starting to do research in this area, there really wasn't a lot of literature um, mm-hmm. about the, the Black woman experience. But now, you know, it's growing. And I'm glad to see it. Um, and glad to see it in magazines and online, you know, digital spaces and that sort of thing. But explore and, and really understand what it is that they're going through, because I think having that understanding will kind of change your your view as to um, how can I best serve them. Um, when kind of all this stuff was happening, I have a mentee who um, identifies as an Asian man, you know, and he was like, what's your cash app? I want to support Black Girl Mentor, you know? And I was like, that's beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't say anything um, or anything like that. He was just like, you know, I want to support, I want to support your platform. And, you know, things like that, I think are really important. And then I think lastly, it's really just like, trust Black women, listen to us, believe Black women, um, and don't automatically think because we're asking for something or we want something um, that there's some sort of negative connotation to it or some um, alternative agenda to that. Um, I think about some experiences I've had before where I've been in a workspace where, you know, like me and maybe two other coworkers slash friends, other Black women, and we're just in the hall talking, whatever. And, you know, a colleague walks by and sees us and then later on is like, oh, what were you talking about? And I'm like, why does it matter? I don't, I don't understand what that, why that's your business, you know? Um, But if you do some research, you recognize that black women need these counter spaces. They need the sister circle time. Then you wouldn't ask those questions. You know what I mean? Or you would support them more um, in those ways. Or I've had experiences where, you know, my job per se wasn't necessarily to maybe work with certain students or particularly black students, but they saw them in my office all the time, you know? And then they'd be like, 
well, why is Johnny hanging out in your office all the time? Because Johnny needs a space where he can feel seen, you know, and safe, right? So, but again, like you need to understand that, you know, there's a thing called other mothering and there's something called fictive kin and all those things play into our work, but also recognize like that didn't stop me from turning that report in on time. So it should, you know, or doing this presentation or whatever else it needed that you needed me to do. Um, so understand, just understand our experiences and, and put an effort into that. And I think once you have that, then you can be a better mentor to Black women. Oh my gosh. You brought up so many good things and it gave me so many ideas for like upcoming <laughs> shows and conversations because um, those types of spaces are so important, but the idea that people have to question them is what's like really detrimental to those spaces. And so you brought up some really good points about like trusting black women, believing black women, but also like taking the time to learn about our experience, I think is so important um, to do that. And just because you know about my experience doesn't mean you know about the black woman's experience. And I think that also comes up a lot. Like you might have a mentor that's like a non-black person or a non-black woman specifically. And then they think because they know about me and my experience, they think they know about like the black woman experience and like, then they try to treat someone else the same way. And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we're not a monolith, you know, and I even think of when I was, you know, doing my own research and, you know, the the idea of, you know, work-life balance, but how that looks very differently for black women because mm-hmm. all you see is oh she has this particular job that has these responsibilities but you don't recognize that she may be the neighborhood mom for the kids on you know mm-hmm. on the block or she may be really involved in church or she um maybe dating you know what i mean like what does right. that look like that might look very different for a black woman than it does for non-black women um but how do we balance how do we balance that and then you know this idea of and I think this might go back to imposter syndrome, but one of the things that came out of my research was this, what I call it a hyper awareness of self. So not only do I have to show up to work and do my job and do it well, but I have to consider what my hair looks like, my makeup looks like, mm. my clothes look like, um, who's going to be in what meeting, do I have any meetings today, do I have to walk across, <laughs> you know, like all these yeah. things, who might I run into if I do what are they going to say? What am I going to say? You know, all those things that we just have to think about just to show up to work or to school or whatever we're doing um, on top of actually like performing, you know, like actually producing (laughs) um, work. That's great. Right. Because we're out here doing the daggone thing. So we are here most educated and trying to rise the ranks, but we take on the emotional labor that comes with but just showing up, like we're already tired by the time we walk through the door, you know, <laughs> because mm-hmm. we've had so much to consider um, just to get here. So, so yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned all that because that was a lot of the things that I was thinking about in the conversation, like how we have to show up to spaces um, in order to just be. Um, and then earlier in the show, we actually talk about how like specifically educated black men like co-op like this social justice language and Mm -hmm. um want to to be in these spaces and say they like protect black women and all that kind of stuff but then still 
ignore their privilege and, ha- and yes. ignore how they're oppressing black women you brought up massage noir um so yeah i think that's something that contributes to that unique experience that you were saying that um yeah. black women have and then you also brought up other mothering and i actually in my research that i'm doing right now i'm doing a pilot study and i brought up basically a question in my research about other mothering because i'm doing a research project on black women and i'm like we know black women are out here doing more than what their job (laughs) tells them so like what are some of the things that you're doing and they're like oh my gosh and then every participant is just listing off all these things that they're doing and i'm like well who is taking care of you in these spaces because they got you all all, and then it's just like crickets crickets so (laughs) oh my gosh well this has been (laughs) (laughs) a lovely conversation um a sister circle a sister line segment i don't know <laughs> but like i've loved it and i really appreciate you um bringing your knowledge and your experience and you talked about your platforms but go ahead and plug yourself one more time so they'll know where to find you yes. absolutely um so again i'm at blackgirlmentor.com um there you can go right now i'm working on the website but you can go there sign up for the newsletter um i'm also on social media at black girl mentor on instagram facebook twitter and linkedin um and my podcast is black girl mentor and right now we are on hiatus between seasons one and two but we'll be coming back very soon but go ahead over to your favorite uh podcast platform and subscribe so that when season two drops you can get those episodes yes and everyone shout out dr wiggins because she was the one who put us onto anchor and in season two we have not looked back so thank you so much dr wiggins again um Thank you all for listening to our show. Keep it classy, but sometimes trashy. Bye. All right. Bye, y'all.